Okay, so this week we are on Parshas Nasso, which starts. Hmm? Huh? In a big one, Parshas Nasso. It starts chapter. Chapter four, verse twenty-one. One. Um, so that's where we start. It's in Chag. Follow-up day of Chag. And just as a random side note, the up until the twelfth day of Sivan, today is the eighth. The Jews in Temple times were able to bring the sacrifices that they needed to bring on the holiday. Meaning, in gen, usually when they were Oleregel, when they went up to the temple, they had a week in order to bring the sacrifices. The exception obviously was the Passover sacrifice, which had to be bought, had to be brought on that one, in that one little window of time. Otherwise any sacrifices that people had to bring were, they were able to bring it for the whole week. So even though Shavuot is only one day here or two days in the diaspora, the Jews actually had until the 12th, until the 12th, say that quickly, yeah, to, to bring, uh, bring their sacrifices. So that's why this whole period of time is considered like a special time. There's certain parts of prayers, which is on Sunday. That's just a random side bit of information about what's going on on the calendar. Parshas Nasso has the distinction of being the longest Parsha, not Parshas Nasso, chapter four, verse 21. Uh, it has the distinction of being the longest Parsha in the whole Chumash. It is the longest Parsha in the whole Chumash. Okay. Chapter 4, one, verse 21. Um, if uh, if, my, if it happened to have been my son from Mr. Parsha, it's not the hardest Parsha, but it's the longest. And what basically is going to happen is that we almost have two Torah portions together. We're going to have the first four Aliyahs are going to have lots of stuff going on. We're going to get into it in a second. And from the fifth Aliyah and on, we have the, the dedication of the princes um, of the princes of Israel for the Mishkan. Okay. Does that make sense in English? No, um, no, not really. Okay. The first four Aliyahs of the Parsha are almost a full, like they're, they're like chock-a-block and there's a lot of stuff going on. From the fifth Aliyah till the end, we have the, the dedication that the princes of each tribe brought for the dedication of the tabernacle, of the Mishkan. Now, first of all, so first of all, we know that on a calendar, this Torah portion is taking place a month before last week's Torah portion. If you remember last week, we opened the Chumash, we said it's starting with the second month. Now we're back to Rosh Chodesh Nisan, we're back to the first month, the first day of Nisan. So it's a, chronologically, it's out of order. But what happens is that the fifth and the sixth and the seventh aliyahs are in modern vernacular, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. We have 12 times we're going to have the gifts of the princes. They are exactly the same. They're not like almost the same. They are exactly the same. And instead of the Torah saying on the first day, this was what was brought by the, by the head of the tribe of Yehuda because he was the first. And then on the second day, this one brought in on the third day, this one brought on the fourth day, this one brought in blah, 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 blah. The Torah gives 
I think five verses to every single tribe, mamash, exactly the same. The only thing that changes is the name of the tribe and the name of the leader. That's it. So like for myself, for a bar mitzvah parsha, it's not the hardest parsha to learn. It's just the longest parsha to learn. We're going to get to that in a second. Jamie, you had a question? Yeah, I mean, like, I haven't, like, it's okay, that's okay. But um, how do you know the, uh, like, does it say in this one that this is, so the so they're going to bring the last one was very clear where it said here we end up having proof text from it says if you're when we get to when we get to Hamishi take a look where's Hamishi Hamishi is going to be one second Hamishi okay starts over here. Um, so Hamishi, it's chapter, it starts from chapter seven, and it says, Vayhi bayom kalot Moshe lahakim et ha-mishkan, the day that Moshe finished setting up the Mishkan, and he, it was dedicated, and it was sanctified, and he dedicated and sanctified all the vessels, and then the Nesim brought their thing. Now, we know that when did Moshe dedicate, when, when was the Mishkan set up? We know this from another Parsha. It's in the desert. Yes, it's in the desert. So when was it? Anybody remember? So in Parsha Shmini, it talks about that. Then it was. It talks about Vayihibayom Shmini, the eighth day. Moshe starts the dedication process of setting up and doing the service. Like, uh, new. What's it called? When you have a play and you have a full practice, what's that? Oh, no, rehearsals. Oh, rehearsals. Oh, I'm literally losing my English. This is ridiculous. I should know that word. Um, so like Moshe Ki'ilu had the rehearsal for a week. He set up, he showed them how to do all the service. And then on the eighth day, they had the, the, the they started the dedication. So that's where we have the reference in Shmini. And here, we're already going back to that, that point, which is, so then like, that's where we know where this is coming from. Context clues, yeah, but it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more than context clues. It tells us it's the day that Moshe stopped, this the day that Moshe finished setting up the Mishkan. The interesting thing, Stam, which we've mentioned, but I think it still bears repeating anyway, was that um, was that the Jews actually finished building the Mishkan. When did they get the command to build the tabernacle? Anybody remember? On what day did they get the command to build the tabernacle? Do, 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 do. Anybody know? We have the whole gold, we have revelation, we have the golden cat, like we're just coming from revelation, right? So it's like kind of very topical now. Revelation, Moshe goes up, and they have the golden calf debacle, which is by the way, such a nice word. Debacle is a really nice word. Um, okay, then Moshe goes for forgiveness. Moshe comes down on Yom Kippur, says you are forgiven. Yom Kippur is the day of forgiveness. On the 11th day of Tishrei, they get the command, the Jews get the command to build the home for God within two days. The Torah tells us they have a, they got their building campaign was done. They have enough and more materials to build the house of God. And they get started and they start doing it right away. And they actually finish it on the 25th day of Kislev. And they're ready to start. And Moses is like, we need to wait for God to tell us to do this. Like, this is his home. We need to wait for him to say, let's do this. And, and, and they actually put, the, they put all the pieces into storage. When does, they don't, so we have Kislev was when they actually finished. So say in Tishrei, they started 
Tishrei Cheshvan, all of Cheshvan, most of Kisra, it took about two months to build a home for God, two and a half months to build a home for God. And then it goes into storage for all of Teves, all of Shvat, most of Adar. In the end, the last week of Adar, Moshe is told by Hashem to start doing the rehearsals for setting and putting together the Mishkan. And on Rosh Chodesh Nisan is when Aaron and his sons come over and take over the job and show is on, okay? Parenthetically, the 25th day of Kislev goes and complains to God and says, like Bemet, like, uh, why, why do you not use the dedication on me? Who knows, what's the 25th day of Kislev? Hanukkah, exactly. 25th day of Kislev is Hanukkah. And Hashem says, don't worry, I got you. You got something big coming on your day. It's going to take another couple of hundreds of years, thousands of years, but I got you. Your day is set aside for dedication as well, but it wasn't this time. So, so, so the end of the, we're going to get this in a second. The end of the, of the end of the Parsha is mamash. Copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. Um, and we're going to go into that and we're going to discuss that. But let's start from the beginning because that's where we start. We start at the beginning. Okay. Right? That's a good place to start. So what's that? Parshas Naso, which we know Naso means again to uplift, to count, and to and to slash count slash uplift, which no dumb questions. Um eh, maybe some people do, some people don't. My son knocked this one out of the ballpark. He did this wow. whole parsha and he did an awesome job. Not everybody does it. Not all my sons did. Um, uh, some people only do the first or they do the end or they do the Haftorah. It depends a lot on what there's, that isn't what makes you a bar mitzvah for, for a boy, yeah. right? Be, like it was, it's the first time you're allowed to do this. It's yeah. the first time you're allowed to read from the, the, the Haftorah. Anybody could read parenthetically, you know, you don't have to be bar mitzvah to read the Haftorah. Mm -hmm. To make the brachas on the Haftorah, you have to be, have, you have to be bar mitzvah. But to read the Haftorah, you don't have to be, you don't have to be warm. So to read from the Torah, you have to actually be. Which Sunday is it? I'm not going to embarrass him. It's, no, he did, he actually did a great job. It's a Ramah Parsh, his birthday is on Sunday. Happy birthday, Aww. so yeah. Um, um, what am I saying? Oh, so it depends really on where you're coming from. To say that I, as a Bar Mitzvah boy, I have to read the whole Parsha. I don't have to read the whole Parsha. If I could, it's a nice thing to be able to do. You know, it depends where you, if they get to make a bracha and have an amazing, then, you know, like we, we want, we want, and this is something that we're going to talk about again. So toward it through the Parsha, we want to be serving Hashem with our maximum ability. That's, that's something we're going to talk about here. So really to answer your question, the question is, what am I capable of doing? Do I, do I prepare for this momentous occasion of being counted as part of the Jewish people um, and just sort of like do nothing or where am I in my life and what is what is my place of, of coming to Hashem and giving, like preparing seriously for this? You know, like if you were going to have an entrance exam to, to a university, you'd put some effort into that. If you knew you were having an interview, like you would, you know, practice and whatever. So like your relationship with God should have at least that much, at least that much attention. So it's, it's a, it's a, yeah, but you don't have to read the bar, the, the whole Parsha. You don't have to read any of the Parsha. You don't even have to have an Aliyah. To become a bar mitzvah, all you have to do is turn 13, actually. Believe it or not, you don't even need a party. <laughs> shocking. You're right, I know, I know. Shocking but true. Right, exactly. So shocking but true, but that's where it is. Okay, so we're going to start over here. If you remember last week we start, we were speaking about accounting and the camp and how that was all set up. The last thing we spoke about 
last week was how the tribe of Kahas, uh, what their specific I said it again, it's not the tribe of Kahas, it's the tribe of Levi. Their was what? Anybody remember? What did they do? What did they transport? What were they in charge of transportation for? For the vessels, exactly. They were in charge of all the vessels. All the holy vessels was by the tribe of Kahas. And that was where last week's Parsha ended. Okay. Now, this week's Parsha is going to continue the conversation of the families of Levi and what they are in charge of and what their responsibility is. So we're going to have, first of all, the tribe of Gershon, which is interesting because Gershon is actually the oldest of the three sons. And we're going to be having them out of order. So we had Kahas already. Now we have Gershon. We have their count. At this point, the Levites are being counted again. Remember their first count, they were counted from a month up. And the, to the total of their tribe was, I think, 22,000 from that age, meaning that Levi, the tribe of Levi was a very small tribe. Because if you remember the numbers that were being bandied about for the regular tribes or the other tribes that were counted from 20 and up, there were numbers in the much higher numbers that they were getting somewhere in, in the... No, not at all. They didn't have the same numbers. We didn't go into all the numbers last week. We spoke about it, but we didn't like actually look at the numbers, but every tribe has a different number. But the tribe of Levi has a very small number. Here the tribe is being here the tribe is being recounted from 30 to 50. Now the this is because now we're talking about who works in the temple or in the tabernacle. So in the temple itself, there isn't obviously so much schlepping and moving because the temple doesn't move, but the tabernacle moves, and so that's gonna be part of the conversation. In general, Levites, Kohanim and Levi and Levian, because they're from actually from the same. What? What? Kahat. Kahas. Kahat. Kahat. What is that? That's the this is one of the sons. Lady. Lady has three sons. Yeah. We'll find it. We'll have to find out. Okay. Yeah. And Murari. Okay. Levi is part of the 12 tribes over here. Okay. The other place that's interesting is that we know over here, Yosef, two of his sons get counted, right? Ephraim and Manasha. So whenever we have a situation that Levi, see Levi and Yosef are on the same line. When Levi is out, then Yosef is out and the prime and the are in. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Out of where? We're, we're counting the Jewish people. We always count 12, right? 12 is the number. 12, 12, 12. We have 12 tribes. We have 12 solar system, 12, you know, the 12 planets, the solar system, the axis, everything is 12. Plan every, what? 12 months. All of these are interrelated. Like nothing happens by mistake. So we always are keeping 12 as the number, the building block for the building of the Jewish people. So we always have 12. Now, what happens when Levi doesn't get counted in that 12? So, for example, when we last week we talked about the tribes camping around the Mishkan, right? Because that was, again, that's proof that that was after because they already had the Mishkan. We needed to have 12 around. Lady wasn't there. Lady had its own inner circle. Does this sound vaguely familiar? We discussed this last week, yes? Yeah. So what happens when Lady is not part of that count of the 12? So Yosef is split to Ephraim and Menashe. Okay? What? 
We had a picture. We, yeah. we put a picture up. Yeah, 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 we did. We we did the diagram, blah, 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 right? Benjamin's over there in the in the backside on the west, right? You can picture it, right? So Binyam, so you don't have so you have a fry and then Ash and Binyamin over there. So the, whenever you need again, when they divide the land of Israel and they need to Levi doesn't get a portion of the land of Israel. Huh? So we have a fry and Menashe. So that means that we keep the number 12. So either we have Levi and Yosef. Or when Levi is out, Yosef is split. Okay, I'm gonna get not gonna get into the whole conversation. Of why does Yosef get the double portion and blah 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 blah? We're not gonna get into that right now, but it's definitely worth uh, exploring. So, okay, so now we're oh, I say so now we're counting the Levites from thirty to fifty. Oh, I wanted to point out one more thing while we're on it because where the Kohanim come from? Maybe. They're also going to come from Lady. Now, within Lady, the family of Kahas, he has three children, and one of the children is Aaron. So from Aaron, we get Kohanim. You see how that broke down? We have Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe. The Kohanim are only coming from Aaron. The Kohanim are only coming from Aaron. They're not coming, they're from the tribe of Levi, but they're from a very specific family within the tribe of Levi. Okay? So, Kohanim and Levim, when they come to work in the temple or in the tabernacle, they come at age 25. They have five years of apprenticeship, and that's why they're being counted from 30 to 50, because that's considered their, their, their optimal work years, their full strength, their full knowledge, and they're able to do the work from ages 30 to 50, and that's where you see that's why they're counted now um, for their jobs. So what is the job of, of Gershon? What do, they, what do they transport in the Mishkan? Look at, no, Kahas did the vessels. Look inside. Look inside. What is, look inside. It's chapter four, verses uh, 20, 26, 27, 28. Yeah, what do they do? They do curtains. No, no, that's some, yes, the Kahas. Last week, remember, Kahas has the vessels and they had to cover them. But if you remember, excuse me, the Mishkan, the tabernacle structure. So it had the, the Mishkan, okay, for a second over here. If this is the whole Mishkan. In the back, this part here is called the Ohel Moed, okay? The Ohel Moed is divided into the holy and the holy of holies and it's made up of it's made up of the ho the holy of holies actually has wood wood right those acacia wood covered in gold and then the top of it is layers and layers of curtains so you have some waterproof levels we have some colorful levels you have all different kinds of layers of curtains and you have curtains over here between the holy and the holy of holies so they're in charge of carrying what do they carry? They carry all the different kinds of curtains. They're, the courtyard is also made up of pillars and curtains. That's not what they carry. They're carrying the actual curtains and the structure. Um, I know it does here. They do have, they have the curtains that are in the outside of the, of the, the curtains of the, of the chatzar of the courtyard also. And that's what they take. Okay. So that's what their, that's what their job is. And then we're going to have the, the children of Merari. We're going to again have their count. What is their, what do they do? Verse 31, what does Merari carry? What do they transport? 
31, 32. Bars, yes, bars, pillars, sockets, planks. So if you think about as far as what's really heavy stuff, that's going to the children of Murari. They have the actual, remember each, each board that's there or each beam that there has also has sockets to hold it. Just, you're taking the, the foundation with it. You're not building a foundation each uh, yeah. You're not building a foundation each time you stop. So they, the family of Murari was in charge of carrying all those beams. So there's like this, divi there's this division of labor that's going on over here. Um, just, a, uh, just a thought, you know, we see three very, very different, uh, three very different families and what they're in charge of carrying. And one of the reasons when things are in Torah, it's not just to give us the history that once upon a time, that's what they did. So the question is like, what does this mean to us? We haven't had a temple for many, many years. We haven't had a tabernacle for even longer than that, right? If this year we celebrated 3,333 years since, my, since, since the revelation. So this is 3,332 years that we don't have a tabernacle. Torah still telling us about it and what's relevant to us. So within our lives, there really are three stages in our lives. Okay, we have kahas. Kahas comes from the root to gather in. Elav kahat. We talk about the tribe of Yehuda. So in the bracha, it says that to him they will gather. So the family of kahas is this place of everything good is gathered to you. It's something that we're in that place of like right they bring in already the menorah and they carry the table and they carry all the stuff right they carry it and they bring it into the house and there's a very very special place of that in our lives you know the place in our lives when we're in a good space and we're doing good and we're bringing in good and we're just on fire that's our kahas space and we have it someplace the other thing that we have to chase away to protect right the curtains what do the curtains do the curtains protect the sanctuary so when we're sometimes we're in a place of we can protect our space we can't bring anything in right now we can't do more but we can protect what we already have and that's the place of of gershon of having this we carry the curtains we carry that which protects inside. It's also a very good place. And if you see, he's introduced, Gershon is introduced with the term Naso to uplift. It's a very special place to be able to be in that place of at least I'm fighting back, at least I'm protecting what I have, right? I'm, I'm not in the space right now that I can bring in more good, but at least I'm, I'm in a place that it's like really in a good place. And Murari, Murari is in a place Murray comes the same route as Miriam, Mar, this place of feeling bad. Sometimes where we are in our relationship with Hashem is we aren't bringing in the good and we aren't even able to really fight, but we are able to feel bad about our situation. And when we're in that place and we think like, like what's so good about this? What's, what do I gain in this space? We have to remember that what does Murray carry? Murray carries the foundations the foundations of our relationship with Hashem is first and foremost to understand that where I am now is not where I want to be. And I want to change. The next step is to work on the change. And then you deal your, you do your Gershon behavior and you get to your Kahas behavior. But the first place very often is for us to, to feel like 
Okay, God, this is not where we're supposed to be. This is not who I am. This is not what I want to be. And that's the first catalyst for putting down the foundation for change. So even though we don't have the, the division of the, of, the, of, the, of the sons of, you know, the families of Levi now, but really for ourselves, that ability to tap into that Levi power is something that we all are, are very capable of doing. Um, and then we have, okay, so then we, and then we have another count of the, then they do another count of the people, of the tribes of Levi, and then we're moving forward. Okay, chapter five, five starts talking about, again, if we're going back to the beginning of the setting up of the camp, the five, chapter five starts the conversation of keeping the camp holy, keeping the camp holy. And we have that in the different places, in the Mishkan, we had, we had the tabernacle, we had the camps where the Levites, we have the place where the Levites camped. I'm like losing my English, like majorly is ridiculous. And then we have what's called Machin Yisrael, where all the people camped. So, um, so, and then it talks about at different levels that all of those camps have to be kept holy. And there's different types of, of spiritual impurity that, pers that a person could come in contact with. And where would it... put you out of that space. So we're talking about Surat, of the manifestation of a spiritual disease. Where does Surat, where does somebody who has Surat, where do they go? They need to go out of everything. They go out of the whole, everything. They're out by themselves. They're not with other people who have Surat. They're all by themselves, right? And then somebody, let's say somebody comes in contact with the dead, can't go into the, tab into the temple or the tabernacle, but he could come into the camp of the Levites. Somebody who has some kind of a mission, uh, seminal mission, male or female, they can come only into the camp of Israel. Not everybody's kicked out of everything. The first place you're not allowed to go is into the temple or the tabernacle. After that, then it depends on the severity of what you've contracted and what you do about that and where you go with that. So here we have the commandment to keep the to keep the camp um, to keep the camp holy, and then it talks about. Um, uh, if you use something that uh, if you use something that belongs to the temple, how do you have to pay back for that? Okay, and now we have a very major story that happens. It's the beginning of Ravi. It's chapter uh, chapter five, verse eleven. We have the story, what's known as the Isha Sota, the suspected one, suspected adulteress. Okay, and we have the story, and the Torah goes into this conversation of somebody who suspects his wife of going astray, of not being faithful to him. Um, perhaps she did or didn't have relations with another man. Um, there's a whole Gemara, by the way, that's going to elaborate on these, uh, on, these, on these verses. And it talks about what happens in such a situation, how the, man, how the woman is brought to the Kohen and how the Kohen does all kinds of things to make her confess to the sin that she had done. And, um, and, this, and it's a whole process of what goes. And if she continues to say, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, then she ends up getting this drink, to, something to drink. It has water from the kior, from the wash, the wash basin with the name of God uh, written on parchment and erased in that water and dirt from the, from the, from the basin. I make this all mixed in. And if she is in fact innocent, well, the Torah does the earth. If she's guilty, then she will, it, she will literally explode. And the person that she had relationships or relationship with will also explode wherever they are. 
And if she's not, and if she's innocent, then she will get an incredible, incredible, incredible bracha. Okay? It's her husband. The only person who can accuse her is her husband. No, if she's if he's wrong and she's and she's innocent, then she's gonna get she's gonna be blessed and she's gonna have you know the the Talmud talks about all different kinds of blessings that she's gonna get. So yes, we I don't know who, but the but the Talmud tells us that this only worked in a time when everybody was really very on a very high spiritual level. Because as soon as the morality level dropped, and you know you ever heard the expression the pot calling the kettle black. You know, when he was doing whatever he wanted, but all of a sudden what she was doing wasn't, you know, yeah. that was like, you know, whatever, then it doesn't work anymore. And really pretty much on the times of the second temple period. Yeah. Yeah. In the second temple period, it was already not happening. Now, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, we're not going to do, we're not going to do the whole Gemara here. There's literally a whole Gemara site, the 49 pages of conversation and information about what's going on over here. We're not doing this. I want to say a couple of things about the Sota. First of all, I would like to propose that she and he have issues in their marriage. Mm-hmm. They do. Because what is, how does it start? He says to her, you know, I'm really so uncomfortable with your friendship with your old college boyfriend. I'm really uncomfortable. Could you meet in Starbucks? And she's like, no, we're going to go to Motel 6 and nothing's going to happen. It's going to be fine. And do you know what I'm saying? Like it starts off where he's, he's, he's suspicious about a very specific person and she instead of saying listen nothing's happening but i respect you i love you so uh, we'll meet in starbucks you know what i mean we'll do something else that's not what she's saying she's taking his his concerns um you know maybe he's being whatever doesn't she's not being um she's not hearing what he has to say now the place of this starting you know over here it says uh where's chapter four start it says if his wife goes astray and uh, does Rashi bring? Um, no, don't, I, don't see in, I don't see it in Rashi, but we know that, that in, in, in the Gemara talks about, and Chassidus for sure talks about the place that kitiste comes from the root of shtut. Of, okay, good. So. So he might be irrational, but she's also not respecting what he has to say. Um, and, and, um, and the thing is, and he, you know, again, you know, this is something that hasn't been happening for thousands of years. Since the second temple period, this hasn't been happening. So what does this tell us? What do we learn from this woman? What do we learn from this situation? The first thing that we learn, um, you know, as we, as the, we, the Jewish people, or we as individual Jewish people, um, you know, it only, such a thing happens when the husband becomes jealous of the wife. So when our husband, when Hashem says, how could you have been with all, you live with all those other nations, for sure you went astray, for sure you've served other gods, for sure you've, you've, uh, you know, you've been unfaithful to me. Now the wife has the ability to say, you're right, done it, I'm done, I'm guilty, walk away, right? She doesn't have to drink. She doesn't have to go through this. She does not, she does not have to put herself through this situation. And, and have a divorce, I'm gonna get a divorce, I move on. No, 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 no. She's saying, I'm not guilty, I'm not guilty. If she says, you know, you're right, 
I couldn't help myself. So they go and they get divorced. And that's the end of the conversation or whatever. This is it exactly. She's like, this marriage I want to fight for. I want to fight for this. And I'm going to, I'm going to prove my innocence. She could walk away at any point. Now, you would have to say to yourself that if somebody was really, really not innocent, it takes a certain amount of guts to think I'm going to pull one over God. But be that as it may, the person, let's say the person who's in fact innocent, she could walk away. Okay, I will say like, it's not like, you know, 2021, get an apartment in, in Boulder, start have a new identity, get a job, whatever. Like it is much more complicated, but that's not even the point. The point is, she says, I want, I made mistakes, correct. I didn't, I was wrong. I was wrong in certain behavior, but I still want this marriage. I still want to be in this relationship. And we say to Hashem, after thousands of years in exile, you can accuse us from today until tomorrow. We're innocent. We're still, you're, you're, we're still connected. We're still in a relationship. We still only want to be with you. Okay, I'm not saying we're perfect. Things have happened. We've been pulled in this direction and that direction, yes. But in our essence, we still want to be with you. And all the, you know, in, in Hasidus, they talk about, you know, Mayim Rabbim, the bitter waters of Gullus have proven that we are loyal to Hashem. Thousands of years of persecution, and we could have taken the easy way out many times. And you know what? This relationship is not worth the effort. And that's not what we've done. That's not what we've said. We've said, you can throw an inquisition at us. You can throw programs at us. You can throw this at us. You can throw this at us. We're still in this relationship. We still want to be connected with you. And that's why once that happens and we come out innocent, then we're get, then then when the when the couple comes back together, we're together back with Hashem. We're given incredible, incredible brachas. My bracha for all of us, all of our is that we should be, we should not be tested anymore. We should be have proven our loyalty. We should have proven our love. We should have proven that we are invested in this relationship. And we should be able to come back together with Hashem and have only brachas and good and revealed brachas amen. Um, um, I just have a question. Uh -huh. when, this when this practice started to be when was it? When was it not done anymore? Pretty much in the Second Temple period. No, no. When it started, right? It's in the Torah. When was the first person? Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Did it happen in the desert? I don't know. I would imagine not. Because like all the time, it's basically basically that stuff. Like even even like Okay, well, Kinesis is the end. Queen is at the end of the situation. She's she's the end of the Tanakh period. Right. But right, but at the like in the beginning to the end, there's always situations like that. So I wonder which people will actually go through this. What do you mean? If practically speaking, who would it happens? The Talmud tells us that it did happen. There are certain things in the Torah, the Talmud tells us they're in the Torah, but they actually never happened. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. For example, they have us, we have a story of a Ben Sora Mora, a child who's out of control drinking, eating, doesn't listen to his parents. And it comes to the point where the parents take him to the basin and they say, this child needs to be put to get to death. So the Talmud says that that never happened, that that such a story never happened. But the did in fact, the Talmud tells us it did happen. And it was the morality of the whole, like, Benek, you're doing whatever you want, and now all of a sudden you're upset about your wife's doing Like, no, no, that's, that's not okay. So it's really in the Second Temple period that it was discontinued. We do, I don't know that we know who the first person to, for this to be called up on, you know, was, but it was definitely... So before the first Temple? In the First Temple period, it was definitely happening. For the Second Temple period, it was already stopped. How long did it go? I don't know. I don't know. Okay? 
now um, this is a long this is a long parsha which we're basically skipping through. And then what happens? We have in chapter six, huh? We have the nazir exactly. The next thing that we're going to have here is the nazir, and the rash and Rashi tells why do we have the nazir next to the sota? Because the nazir is somebody who's seen the the sota woman because it's done very publicly. It's done at the or the trial. Forget about the explode. The trial, the whole the whole trial, and the nazir says if that's what happens when you drink wine, uh, maybe I shouldn't do that for a while. So the nazir it could be a man or a woman who decides. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, live and learn. Okay, so a man or a woman, the Chomish tells us very clearly, Ish or Isha, if they want, if they want to make a vow to become Nazir Lahazir Lashem, they want to be separated Hashem. So there are three basic conditions that they're not allowed to do. One, they're not allowed to eat, drink, wine, or any grape products. Okay. They have to stay away from wine. And again, raisins and Great, the whole situation. They're not allowed to come in contact with the dead and they're not allowed to cut their hair. Okay? That's the that's the the three the three behaviors for to be a nazir. And the minimal amount of time that somebody could be a nazir is 30 days. If somebody just says, I want to be a nazir, they don't give a time limit, then it's for 30 days. It doesn't no, no, it could be a lifetime. Okay, the problem with being a nazir today is you don't have a way to unnazir yourself. Because at the end of your at the end of your period of Naz, Nazarite period at the end of your Nazarite period you need to bring sacrifices and blah 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 so that's like a little bit of an issue because we don't have a temple so like it's not advocated now anybody know who was a lifetime Nazir a Nazir is this person who doesn't come in contact with the dead doesn't cut their hair and doesn't drink wine or eat grapes so it's a, it's it's a place of being separate of being closer to Hashem. Less close to the less close to uh, to people. Some famous Nazirian uh, Nazir in history were Samuel the prophet. Shmuel was a Nazir. Samson was a Nazir. Okay, Shimshon Gibor was a Nazir. What is what for? Yes. To why? Okay. So the question is, why would you be another? Um, so let's say I said I'm going to be another for a month, and in the middle something happens. Uh, I came in contact with the dead or whatever. I have to redo it till I get my till I get my month in. Um, so 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 this is the this is these are the brushstrokes of what does it mean to be another. Now the question is, is it a good thing or a bad thing? And that's what the the commentaries talk about. Is it a good thing to be another? I don't think so. Sounds like, uh, like, like something like not enjoyment. Okay, so th there is this place of not enjoyment. And, and to prove your point, some of the commentaries say that at the time that the Nazir is finished, when his, when his time is up, his or her time is up, one of the sacrifices they need to bring is a chattas. They have to bring a sin offering because they did not enjoy pleasures of the world. On the other hand, the Nazir is considered holy. So the question is, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And one, and okay, there's similar, what's it called? Themes? Themes, prohibitions, whatever, as a Okay, so, so, exactly. So, in the, one of the commentaries talks about that the Nazir is this place where Kohen is a born holiness 
and another saying, I'm going to take this as you uh, have long hair. The only time they don't, they're not there. They always have to have their hair cut. Where Torah tells us that normally in your morning, you would cut your hair, but a coin is not allowed to. But you're right. They're not coming in contact with the dead. Yeah. They're not being inebriated. All those things is very, a lot of the commentaries pull that similarity to Kohen and say, oh, this is a place that we as individuals who are not Kohanim could reach for holiness. We could reach for this space that's bigger than us. Um, and so, okay, so then if that's the case, then why do you bring a chattas? Why do you bring a, why do you bring a sin offering afterwards? Like what was wrong with what you did? And one of the things that Hasidus kind of highlights this a lot is the place of the need to separate and yet at the same time, understanding that that's not a lifelong place. I mean, we have very few people who are lifelong Nazirim, right? Like I said, well, it's the Samson and Shmuel, we have two. Um, there might've been more, but they aren't so famous. To say, to say something in my life, I need to pull away, there's too much, something too much. There's indulgence that's, I'm, I'm, off, I'm off my balance. So like the Rambam talks about, when you're off balance in something, you go to the extreme other, and then you come back to the middle, right? The place of Nazir is this place of saying, I need to recalibrate. I need to rebalance myself. I need to kind of find my center again because I'm out of control. You know, today we know a lot about addiction, the place of how do we deal with it? But, but in spirituality, I think like there's a place of, and Torah acknowledges this place that when you're in a place of too much, in a place of not balance, sometimes you need to be extreme and you need to really be extreme in order to come back to that place of center and that place of balance because that's where we want to be. We don't want to be extreme over here. We're not bipolar. That's not what we're looking to do. We're looking to be solid and stable and focused. And sometimes when we have, let's say, for example, we had a holiday and we ate lots of cheese, for example, <clears throat> maybe as a random item, right? I have no idea what you're talking about. Then maybe we need to say, I need to stop. I need to cut this out of my diet for a while and then come back to it. Now, the thing is that, the, first of all, the nuts are supposed to bring it back in. At the end of his service, not his service, at the end of his vow, he's supposed to go back into it. He's supposed to, re, he's supposed to come to this place of balance where he can have it back in moderation. And that's really where, where that place of sin is. That place of, the, the thing also about a Nazir is this place of, it's very public. It's, it's not a private thing that I'm doing for myself. You know, sometimes like there's something that I'm working on for myself privately. I have an issue with my anger. I have an issue with overeating. I have an issue with whatever. I'm gonna like take steps to find balance. The Nazir is not private. Okay, first of all, to us, Today, long hair doesn't seem like a weird, a weird thing, but it's considered a big thing. Remember that the Nazir is not allowed to cut or pull out their hair. So you can't brush your hair. How many of you have brushed, how many of you have brushed your hair and have and you pull hair out? The Nazir can't do that. Huh? We're saying so the Nazir can't do this. So that their hair gets wild. Okay, in 30 days probably gonna get super wild, but let's say you decide I'm gonna be a Nazir for a year. This it's public here. You know, this is who I am. Can I, oh come to my? Can you make kids? Oh, sorry, I can't drink. I can't drink wine. I can't make kids. I can't make your simcha. I can't be part. Of, I can't be part of your simcha. This is very public and very antisocial. 
very antisocial behavior. And Judaism really celebrates this place of yes, individuals, but within a community. Like, you know, it's 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 not like off on the side. Every single person, especially you know, you talk about in biblical days, the community was so much smaller. Somebody doing such behavior really stands out, and they're making a very public statement about I'm being different. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it because you're being public about it, but I am saying for ourselves, when we're looking for balance, I'm not sure that Nazir is, is our current way to go. I think that the place of finding balance and sometimes going to an extreme in order to find that balance is something, I think it is a good thing. I think it is a healthy thing. I think like, listen, anybody who's ever done tshuva, you know, this is what it is. We say, I'm not doing that. I'm doing something else. And, and here I am. Um, but, but I think like that place of, can we not be so public about it? I know it's a very terrible thing to say in a social media age. Can I do something? And the whole world doesn't know about it. Somebody said, I saw on, I saw on Facebook, somebody like, if my mother doesn't have any social media, do I still have to wish her happy Mother's Day on social media? Is a real thing that we can take from another. We currently cannot become another because we don't have a way to unnother ourselves. But I think that it's it, there are some very important lessons over there. Even if maybe being super antisocial is not necessarily one of them, but I don't know. Take it. The, but also, I feel like this for me. Okay, yeah. It's still a bit extra because I feel like mm-hmm. God gave us this for to like I'm sure because and do extra. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why they're going to bring a, a, a guilt offering. Because God said, this is okay. And I said, no. But God's also acknowledging the humanness of the human to say, sometimes we do need to step away. We do need to step away from whatever it is. You know, like I always think to myself, you know, because, you know, my my pet peeve is everybody on our smartphones, right? Um, What are people who don't have Shabbos? How do they ever turn it off? Right, so there we have like a little space of nazir, huh? I understand, so I'm saying like, then how, how do you keep your sanity? So I'm just saying like, okay, so that's what we do every week. We have Shabbos, we, I, so I'm saying. Okay, so we're doing, we're having that every week. Exactly, exactly. And I think that, that I think that in a healthy situation, that's gonna be enough for balance. And in an unhealthy situation, then what we need to do is say, Ega, this is out of control. I need to do something to regain control, whether it's with food, whether it's with alcohol, whether it's with our phone, whatever it is that we're too much, we need to find a way to put those blocks back in to say, Ega, I I, I don't want to be out of control. I want to be in control. I serve Hashem best when I'm in control. How do I do that? And how, and that's really what I think we take from Nazir. That so you're right. Hashem says that's why the whole Nazir thing is a, is a complicated thing. Is it a good thing? Is it not a good thing? And really, I think that the, the, the point that, that we talk about a lot is that it's a temporary thing. It's a temporary thing. You know, it's not something that we say forever and ever and ever. I'm never going to whatever, whatever it is. I'm never going five minutes. You're ready to start into life. You can't, you know, how do I find my balance in small bites? And the way that one of the things I think, here's my other little plug 
is when we decide we want to work on something, we need to give it a definite time. I'm going to try this for 30 days. I'm going to try this for three months. I'm going to try this behavior for whatever you think is a normal amount of time to challenge you. I think they were saying how many it takes, I think 30 days to make a new, a new habit. Yeah. So, but, but let's say I want to try something. I don't, if I say I'm for the rest of my life, I'm going to be on my phone for only one hour a day. Like we know that's not happening, but can I say, can I say for the next 30 days, I'm going to limit my time to whatever the space is going to be for the next 30 days. I'm not going to be eating more cheesecake. <laughs> I'll finish everything that's in the fridge, and then we're not going to start again, right? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know. Well, we could, but you, I, I don't. I don't think anybody's getting a free pass on this one. To be quite honest, like, yes, we have a sense of time because our body cycles. Correct. We do have a, a more sense of time moving because of because we because our body cycles. I I would not say especially looking at today's day and age and all the things that are specifically aimed at women and girls the the amount of of food issues and balance issues i would not say that we have this one covered like not at all and then the question is how do we get back the balance and i think that's really what we learned from nazir absolutely i remember learning about anatomy in class and like i guess I don't know if someone said it or like that was in my head or someone asked questions and that, but the bottom, but like I remember someone saying, like, think of like a monk in the world. Like, I just always thought a Nazi was like, they, like, I don't know, it gave me a very different positive viewpoint on that. A good positive, a good, a good positive, a good, yeah. a positive or not? I just thought that they were just like people like trying to take an oath upon themselves and not cut their hair and like go off into the forest or like. Correct, correct. Correct. So that's like what I thought. Well, there is that part of it. That really is what another is. And then then the question is, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? And you know, I was I was having a conversation with one of my kids yesterday. She's telling me something about Judeo-Christian, but in Hebrew it sounds so much better. But uh three, blah blah. And I said, there is no such thing really as Judeo-Christian. We don't share values. There, we, we look at the world yeah. differently and our value system is very different. Yeah. So when the West wants to say Judeo-Christian values, they're really Christian values. They're not Jewish values. Um, yeah. So when you say, is it a good thing for somebody to be secluded from the world and meditate and live it, you know, like that vision, is that a good thing or is that not a good thing? It's not a Jewish thing. Yeah. It's not a Jewish value to live separated from the world and say, here, I'm here, I'm okay. Times what? Oh, Thomas Dibor, when you don't talk. Yeah. Could be, but, but do you do that for your whole life? Or do you say, My, I'm out of control, so I'm gonna, from the hours of blah, 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 I'm not gonna talk. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The place, this extremist place, that's not Jewish. The place of saying, I'm going to disconnect from the world. I'm going to not be connected to a community. That's not a Jewish value at all. And, and really that kind of, you know, so it's not a bad thing, but it really should be a temporary thing. That's kind of my, my takeaway from that. So how do you feel this? I don't know. Maybe you don't want to ask, but like, how do you feel about the Jewish part of life that like sells a little like meditation and retreats? The... I think it's a very important thing. I think that. I, you know, to say that, to say, 
you know, we have this fear of everything that's not so easy for us. Meditation for me is extremely, extremely hard. I, I, I'm too, it's very hard, but in, in, in Judaism, it's a real thing. In, in Hasidism, in Kabbalah, it's a very real thing, this place of taking time to think. I'm not saying we are gonna sit and meditate on a, I don't know how to, I don't know how to talk about meditation because it's not something that I can do well. It is definitely though, part of a Jewish life. But my question again is, do I sit and meditate for seven years and never come down and speak to my neighbors? Then I miss the point. Do I use meditation as a tool to come close to Hashem, as a tool to calm myself, as all those good, there's lots of good things about it. Yeah, it seems like sometimes there's a fine line between Kerusha and like, oh. Oh yeah, like, for sure, for know? sure. And I'm always very afraid of that line. I don't know, forms are very, you know, like, this is Jewish, this is not Jewish. Right. So. And I think, I think that a lot of people are, are like that. Like Jewish things, we can identify. They're Shabbos candles, they're challah, they're, you know, whatever, it is, whatever. And all those things that are a little bit different, um, uh, they're not Jewish, but it's not really true. And I think like the reason I, I say this, well, some of the things are not Jewish. There's lots of things that people want to say, this is Judaism. That's not really, that's not really true. But I think there are certain things that we're, that are, we're unfamiliar with because it's a language that we're learning. It's a more messianic language. One of the things that Hasidus taught a lot and the language, people were afraid of Hasidus because it was a language language that what we've been doing in Judaism for thousands of years what is this new language what are you talking about relationship with Hashem do says whatever doesn't matter your relationship and Hashem's like no 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 no. it's about the relationship you have to like the love and the fear and the awe and all those things and not just like just check it off your list like to develop a relationship that and you see that that kind of language is coming into all streams of Judaism all streams of Judaism where once upon a time the marks of who was doing those kind of things was like, oh, those people, but real Jews didn't do that. Not true. Everybody's realizing all of a sudden things that were once not how we did Judaism. If we don't adapt Judaism to speak to the heart and mind and soul of ourselves and of our children, we will lose them. Now we have to be careful that we don't go off the deep end and start saying, you know, dancing in the, in the, in the dandelion and that's Judaism. Like, you know, maybe yes, maybe no, but like it has to be, grounded in halacha it has to be grounded you know really in torah and then how do we how do we fly from there that's that's very important okay oh my gosh ladies shush we're not finished okay chapter 6 verse 22 23 24 25 26 and 27 very 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 famous who's following with us what do we have over here chapter 6 verse 22 23 24 Birchas Kohanim, we have the blessings of the Kohanim, okay? Hashem says to Moshe to tell Aaron and his children, this is how you should bless the Jewish people and say to them, okay? And it's a very, very short little prayer, right? It's a quick, very, very powerful. What? Very, very, very powerful. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of back end information on what this is. The brachas of the Kohanim are pulling down. They're the conduit for the Jewish people. Bring Hashem's bracha. They're not blessing us. They're blessing, right? It says in the end, Hashem. So you should put my name on the Jewish people. And I will bless them. I will bless the Jewish people. I will bless the Kohanim. I want to say one thing. We're, shockingly enough, we're out of time. 
and we don't have time to get into the whole conversation of the Birchus Kohanim. I want to say one thing. One of the things that we're blessed here in, in Yerushalayim is that the, the Kohanim bless the people every single day. In all of Israel, they bless the people every single Shabbos. In Chutzlaretz, they bless the people on the major holidays. So um, in most Ashkenazi communities. One of the things that you're blessed to hear, anybody know what the bracha is? When Kohen gets up to bless, do you know what the bracha is? who has sanctified us with the holiness of Aaron, the Tivano and commanded us, and commands us to bless the people with love. And there's a whole conversation about what does that mean to bless the people with love? In certain, certain, in certain places, it says that a Kohen who does not love the Jewish people or who is not beloved by the Jewish people should not get up to bless the Jewish people. Um, another thing we talk about is we know that Aaron, in Kirk, we obviously talked about what is Aaron's, what is the media that we most associate with Aaron? Aaron or Cohen, what do we know about Aaron? Love, right? We talk, Kirk, who talks about to be like the students of Aaron, oh, hey, shalom, verodev, shalom, oh, if it's a the Torah, to love peace, to love peace, love of, uh, love peace and pursue peace and love the people and bring them closer to Torah. Um, and, and perhaps that the Kohanim are also giving us this bracha of love. And I think that today in today's day and age, one of the things that we, we're not all Kohanim, we're not getting up to bless the people, but can we dig for the love for the other, for another Jew, you know, for ourselves and for another Jew to treat each other with love and with kindness and with grace. I think it's a very, very, very important thing to, uh, to tag on. Um, and now we're going to transit. Oh, guess what? Can I grab four minutes for my next class? Okay. The next thing, the next, now we're up to the fifth aliyah, fifth, sixth, seventh. We're going to have the conversation of the Nesim, the princes of Israel, bringing the, the, their gifts to the Mishkan. It's going to start off with them bringing a joint gift, a joint gift. Each, each prince brought one, uh, not cow, a bull, what? One of those big animals, an, uh, an, an ox, an ox, one of those. I, I, don't, I don't live on a farm. I don't actually know what the difference is between all of them. Big, strong animals, right? Each one brought, each brought an ox and they also brought a half a wagon, okay? They brought a half a, half a wagon. That means each two, each two heads of tribe brought a wagon and the two oxen that you would need to pull the wagon. And these were brought to Moshe, and um, Moshe knows to do this. He knows to do these things. So Hashem says to him in verse five, "Take it for them. Take it from them. We're going to use it to help the Levim in transporting the Mishkan." And what do we talk about? Each one gets. So Moshe takes it, and he says, two, two, two wagons and four oxen are going to go to the tribe of Gershon. What is the tribe of Gershon carrying? Who remembers?" Curtains. They're carrying the curtains. So they're big, they're bulky, they're not super, super heavy. They're going to get two wagons for oxen to help them carry the the to help them carry the curtains. And the other four wagons and the other eight oxen are going to go to the tribe of Murari. Because remember, they're carrying super, super heavy stuff. They're carrying the boards and the sockets and the planks and all those big heavy stuff. Now the thing is, and, and Hasidus says, like, 
it seems like a little bit cheap. You know, we're, they're coming first. The, the princes are coming first to give their gift because when it came time to the dedication, they said, let the people bring and we'll bring whatever's missing. And they ended up with very, very little to give. Okay, they gave big bling. They each gave the stone for the breastplate, whatever, but they didn't give a ton of stuff. Give me half a wagon. Like, could you like splurge? Could you give more? Could you like, how much would, a, how much would it cost if you gave a whole wagon? Like, what's the big deal? And Hasidus explains that when we talk about everything, when we talk about a home for God, it's true of a home for God and it's true of ourselves. Every single piece must be utilized. Every single space, every single talent that we have, every single one of our abilities must be used for a home for God. So this is what they needed. And it wasn't, it wasn't meant for them to just like put it on the wagon and walk away. The Gemara actually tells us that they, the Levian had to kind of follow the wagons and make sure stuff didn't fall off because it had to stay on. They were, the wagons were there to help the Jewish people, to help the Levian in the transport. It wasn't there to do the job for them. They, that, that, that to have more would have just been excess. There would have been space that was meant for service of Hashem that wasn't being used for the service of Hashem. This is what they needed. So this is what they had. It wasn't they were being cheap. They understood that everything for Hashem has to be used to its fullest. If this is how much they needed, they needed this amount of wagons and this amount of oxen, then that is what they got. And it was made, it was perfect and every single bit of space was used for it. Um, the children of Kahas don't get any wagons. They're carrying holy holy things. And it says over here, uh, one second, here, verse nine, Uvene Kahat, and to the children of Kahat, don't give any of them, Kiavodet HaKodesh Alehem, they have the holy, the holy, holy work, the Katekisau, they carried on their shoulders. I want to give us a little plug. We spoke a little about being Gersh and Kahat and Merari and taking all those aspects in us. There are things in our lives that we can outsource. We can get a wagon to help us do lots and lots of things. But the things that are important, that are Vodat HaKodesh, the things that are our holy work, don't push over your responsibility. It's for you. You do this. You shoulder this one. You take care of this. You know, I think like for many people, one of the blessings of COVID has been that ability to not just earn money for their family, for people who still have their jobs, but to actually be able to spend time with their family and to be able to spend time for that avodah hakodesh, the things that we actually really um, uh, want to do and the things that are important to us, the things that are holy for us, we have to really remember that we can't outsource that. We have to be able to take that and, and do it by ourselves. And then it's going to go on and it's going to go all, how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, six verses per tribe for the next 12 tribes every single day a different nasi a different prince brought their brought their gift and they um and and it's exactly the same now what's interesting and almost it's so interesting to find uniformity amongst commentaries because <laughs> usually you don't have that but one of the things that's very interesting is that although they were doing the exact same thing each one their kavanah, their intention was totally different. And if you look in those blue chamash, those, sorry, those brown chamashim over there, those, yeah, on, on the bottom, it has every single tribe and what their intention was, what was their meditation for every single thing that they brought. So I'm going to encourage you to take a look at that. It's so easy to say, I'm an individual, I'm doing this myself, I'm doing my own thing. And the place of 
the place of that the tribe heads are showing us is that you could be your individual and still you don't have to be super different from everybody else around you. It's interesting, Stam, if you ever walk in the streets, you can tell those are the seminary girls that kind of all look a little bit alike and those are from that school and those are from that. Like within their individuality, there's certain a certain amount of conformity and it's not a bad thing. You know, it's not like, oh, they aren't thinking about it. They aren't, maybe they aren't. I don't know, maybe they had only one school uniform. I don't know, I'm not talking about that. The thing in life, we all light candles. We all make brachas. We all, whatever it is that we all do, and yet each and every one of us, when we do it, we do it with our own intention, we do it with our own heart. And the, the other thing that's very interesting is that at the end, after they do all these 12 days, then it counts up how many of each thing you had. 12, they said we this many golden bucks, these, these many bowls and this many spices and this ever, all the amounts get totaled up. And here again, the princes are coming to teach us. We start off with a gift that's it's a joint gift. They give the oxen and the cat and the wagons together. And in the end, there's some total is together. And in the middle, there's a space for me and for what I do. And so really, I want to give us all a blessing that we are able to find our voice, even when it looks like we're doing the same thing as everybody else, that where is our intention, where is our heart, where is our soul, how are we doing this different than anybody else around us, because that's really what the point of it is. So it's, we're coming to the end, this, we got to the end of our Parsha, we took a little bit of extra time, and I, I think that the biggest bracha that we could give to each other, and for all of us, is the bracha that's given in this in this parsha, take all of the little bits and to say the blessings of everything, spiritual, physical, peace, all of it, we should have it in abundance, in a revealed way. Have an awesome rest of the day.